okay? Are you injured? Rico, dude, get out of my room. I'm going to get out. Are you injured now? Um, I'm okay. Just... <sighs> that 911 caller was out of breath because she was pleasuring herself when her husband came uninvited into her bedroom thinking she was having sex with another guy. Police were called, and the woman was arrested for allegedly punching her husband. That story and more coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in-depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. In this episode, I'll talk about a drive-by shooting in Holly Hill that led to an arrest of a 70-year-old man. I'll discuss the incident in Port St. Lucie, in which a licensed private investigator struck her estranged husband after he entered her bedroom to find her in the middle of a menage a moi. And finally, in our Looking Back segment, we'll take a close look at a still-opened 20-year-old rape case out of Daytona Beach that got a major boost this spring when a DNA hit led to the arrest of a man in Wisconsin. My special guest for that segment will be recently retired Volusia County Sheriff Ben Johnson. I'll discuss the drive-by shooting arrest after the break. Hello? Hi, can you tell me what you saw? I think it was like a great Mini Cooper or some kind of great car. I walked to the store, got me a drink, a soda. I have no beef with nobody. I have no enemies, and I have no idea what happened. All I know is I heard it sounded like a, how can I say it, like a firecrackers or whatever. Holly Hill Police arrested a 70-year-old driver suspected of being involved in a drive-by shooting that left a man with a bullet wound to his arm. Robert Castaneda was charged with principal to aggravated battery on a person using a deadly weapon, discharging a firearm from a vehicle, and shooting a firearm into an occupied building. Holly Hill Police said Castaneda was driving a Mini Cooper when a gunman, only known to police as Jeffrey, pulled a gun and fired at Carl Arnold of Sanford, who was standing outside a convenience store on Center Avenue around 12.45 p.m. last Sunday. Okay, did you see a gun? I, I got I, I got grazed by a bullet, ma'am. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, okay. He shot like, what, what, like three, four gunshots? Three bullets were fired from the Mini Cooper. One bullet grazed Arnold's arm. A second hit a car, and a third went through the front window of the convenience store. Just so you know, I've got rescue coming to you, okay? So we're going to get you checked out for sure. But I need to know, who are we looking for? Tell me everything you remember about that vehicle. I have no idea, ma'am. I don't I have no idea. I think it was a great car. I, when I came outside, as soon as I stepped outside, I bought a soda, I'm a, a, a juice in the store. As soon as I stepped outside, that's when I heard the gunshots and I just ducked on the ground. Arnold was taken to a local hospital to be treated for a non-life-threatening injury. Police did not have to look far to find the vehicle involved in the shooting. It was parked in a driveway four-fifths of a mile north. Police said Castaneda tried covering it with a tarp and tried hiding the gun in a drawer in his house. 
Castaneda told police that a man he only knows as Jeffrey came by and asked for a ride to go look for someone. During the ride, he was the one who spotted Arnold and fired a 9mm Ruger at him three times. This according to Castaneda's story. The gun actually belonged to Castaneda. He was asked several times to reveal the full identity of Jeffrey, but he wouldn't, saying he had only met him twice. But during the same interview, he referred to Jeffrey as family. Coming up, the story about a wife slugging her husband after an interrupted masturbation session. Police for no! No! What's your address, ma'am? Please! Okay, are you injured? Nicholas, dude, get out of my room! I'm gonna get out! Are you injured, get out. Um, I'm okay, just... Okay. Defending myself because it's in the floor. A 42-year-old Port St. Lucie woman recently was charged with battery when she attacked her husband after he unlocked her bedroom door with a screwdriver and barged in. The part that made her upset is that she was preoccupied, doing a Meg Ryan impression. According to police, Flavia Higgs was pleasuring herself in her bedroom. The couple is estranged, but living under the same roof. They sleep in different quarters. As you can tell in the 911 call, they have a combustible marriage. Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! Get Garrett Higgs told police that he had come home that day and heard loud moaning from his wife's bedroom. He banged on the door and she did not answer. At that point, he assumed she was inside with another man. He also told police he and his wife had not had sexual relations together in more than a year. After the confrontation, Higgs's wife called 911. The operator mostly kept quiet and listened. There was a lot of screaming and a lot of swearing. Garrett Higgs told his wife over and over again that he works hard and he is the one in the family who pulls his weight financially. For that reason, she had no right to hit him. You touch my f***ing kids! Me my face! And I still ain't hit you! But I'm a bastard! I walk in the house! I cook every f***ing day! And I work for myself! I work for myself! I'm doing it for myself! After Garrett Higgs unlocked the door, Flavia Higgs tried to bar her husband from entering and then tried to physically escort him out of her room. Police said that was the time she hit him. 
By the time law enforcement showed up, Garrett Higgs was waiting for them in the driveway. No one was injured, but Flavia Higgs was found to have been the one to initiate the physical contact, so she was charged. Her arraignment is scheduled for Thursday. Coming up, the story about a rape case from two decades ago that finally led to an arrest in March. Twenty years ago, a 14-year-old girl who was left alone in some woods in Daytona Beach was raped by three men. On March 21st, the Volusia County Sheriff's Office announced that a DNA hit resulted in the arrest of one of those three men, Robert Sheridan Haar, a 42-year-old who was living in Portage, Wisconsin. Detectives said at the time they still didn't have ample evidence to charge the other two suspects, but there was enough genetic material to link Haar to the crime. The girl told the sheriff's office at the time she had been mudding with some friends on October 16th and 17th, 1997. They had gone to Mud Lake, located in the area of LPGA and Clyde Morris Boulevards, which is today close to some major commercial construction. But back then, it was an out-of-the-way place and a popular spot for those who wanted to go mudbogging which has long been a popular pastime across Florida. The girl was riding with some friends in the woods when their vehicle became disabled. They argued, and the girl was left stranded. Deputies said she started wandering around looking for a way out of the woods when she encountered three men. Reports stated that the three men told the teen she would be killed if she resisted or screamed. They wound up raping her. Afterward, they dumped her in neighboring Port Orange. From there, the girl walked to her grandparents' house. After 20 years of no developments in the investigation, Har was charged with sexual battery with a deadly weapon or force. His arrest affidavit was signed March 17th. The felony is punishable by life in prison. Har's arrest stems from a decision made during Volusia County Sheriff Ben Johnson's final year in office. He requested that investigators review 200 DNA cases that had not been sent to a lab. 68 of those cold cases were sent to a lab, which found 12 male DNA profiles. Seven of those were identified while five remained unknown. Among the seven was Har's DNA. Here is Johnson talking about the program and how there is no end in sight to the advances in DNA technology. A few years back, one of the things we did was we contracted with a private lab. Some of it goes to Tallahassee, some of it goes to a private lab. That's how we did it. Uh, It was programs that were actually done throughout the country, but we used confiscated funds to help pay for it. And it was a very, very valuable way to spend those funds to go after existing crimes that that were not solved and crimes that were going to happen. We used it not only for cold case, we used it for current cases. 
And uh, you're going to see more and more DNA coming as it goes on. It's going to get more advanced. And what is very interesting in the criminal justice system is we're going to see things come up that we don't even know about now. But DNA has taken such a, a such a great jump with the technology that you'll see a lot more cases being solved. The five unidentified DNA profiles without a match were expected to be further reviewed to see whether suspects can be identified. In most of those seven cases where a suspect was identified, detectives could do nothing. In three of them, the victim or suspect had died. In another case, the victim did not want to prosecute. In another, the victim could not be located. But the Mud Lake rape case from 1997 did come together. And here you have a young girl who was victimized, and for 20 years it sits, and, and there's no closure. Now, hopefully, she can at least, uh, you, she can never totally put it behind her, but at least know that whoever did this is off the street. And I believe they still have a couple more of the suspects out there, and hopefully as time goes on, they'll be able to catch up with them. But at least allow her to put a little bit of closure to it, and know that this individual can't hurt anybody else. In a letter dated October 26, 2016, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement informed the Sheriff's Office they had a match to the 1997 rape. Next, investigators found Har, got a warrant to confirm his DNA, and then arrested him on March 17th. Investigators did tell the news journal that another DNA profile has been sent for additional testing to see whether it belongs to either of the two other suspects. One of the two has been interviewed while detectives were still tracking down the other, according to the sheriff's office. Agency spokesman Andrew Gant told me last week that no investigator was willing to discuss the case for this podcast because it remains open and active. Har has been convicted before, more than once. In 2001, he spent eight months in prison on drug convictions. He also served a year behind bars in the mid-1990s for stealing a car in Hillsborough County. He continued to hang around Volusia County until 2010. He eventually made his way to the Badger State. An ex-girlfriend of Har's told the News Journal that he often bragged about his criminal history, but usually only talked about the cars he stole or the drugs he took. Har never mentioned the night of October 17, 1997. Har's criminal record does include a conviction of a sex crime. In 2011, he pleaded no contest to sex with a child age 16 or older. For that, he received probation and was ordered to pay monthly child support but it was a misdemeanor. He wasn't required to provide a DNA sample. The girl in that case is the mother of Har's two children. After she got pregnant the first time, Har got arrested. After he got probation, the couple stayed together for a few more years and had another child. The couple eventually split and Har married someone else. He wound up charged and convicted in 2016 of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Again, he avoided prison, but this time, a judge ordered him to submit a DNA sample. He submitted a second sample sometime later, after authorities arrested him for choking a woman who was a friend of his wife's. 
He also pushed his wife so hard she fell to the floor, banged her head, and suffered a concussion. He pleaded no contest to substantial battery and to domestic abuse. He was put on probation. Har fought extradition to Florida, but less than two months after he was served with the arrest warrant up north, he made his first appearance in the Volusia County Branch Jail. He remains jailed without bond. Johnson said the cost for DNA collection and testing is steep, but such a bill should always get paid. The Har case is a perfect example as to why there is so much value in it. It took footwork by the individuals involved, the investigators involved, and you can't take away from them. But they're taking and properly using crime techniques at their disposal. And it's an expensive type of way to go, but it's a very necessary way to go. And it's something you, you're going to have to find a way to continue to keep the money flowing for it because it is such a valuable tool. The rape victim from 1997 is now in her 30s and still lives locally. She told detectives she was willing to prosecute when she was told of the match. One of the lead investigators told the News Journal in March that she became very emotional at the news of the arrest. Har's trial is tentatively scheduled for January 2nd, 2018. Thanks for listening. Join me next week where I will profile one of the most heinous murders ever to take place in Daytona Beach. I will discuss the murder of Kevin Ramsey, who was tied to a tree and fatally shot. The slaying was videotaped by the killers themselves. Those killers, Costa Fotopoulos and Deidre Hunt, remain perhaps the most notorious murderous couple in Florida law enforcement history. Part one of that segment will be available next week. Part two will be released October 30th. Among my special guests next week will be former Daytona Beach News Journal reporter and editor, Kathy Kelly. Join us then. You can find Tony on Twitter at Tony Crime Writer or email him at tony.holt at news-jrnl.com. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Mm-hmm.